Ah, oh, for Christ's sake, Anakin. Hello and welcome to episode 53 of For Christ's Sake, Anakin. I'm your host, Matthew Nugabauer, coming to you live to air on this Tuesday, February 4th, 2020. If you're counting, it's the Tuesday after the fourth Sunday of Epiphany. Uh, it is overcast and kind of cool, pretty pretty mild for February in suburban Toronto, Ontario, Canada. It's always overcast. It's basically Camino. You think London has anything on you? It, it, it's always overcast here in southern Ontario. This week we are talking about the Clone Wars. We're back into the Star Wars conversation. And uh, I'm joined appropriately by that ginormous uh, chorus on guard coffee mug with some nice warm brown liquid in it. Yeah, it's coffee. Take a swig. Alright, liquid liquid courage. There we go, liquid justice. Not liquid courage. You hear the clank. Clankers of the coaster. On the mug on the coaster. That's what that is. So uh we're all talking about Clone Wars because we are I can't quite count a few weeks away from the return. Clone Wars Saved. Season seven is coming. The trailer dropped. You can check that out. You can you know, listen to Star Wars Underworld or other folks for in-depth analysis on the trailer. I will, I've been going through my third rewatch, uh, trying to get in a few episodes a day, going at a very quick clip. I, I, I do skip a few days here and there, but I, I think I'll make it. I think I'll make it with even hopefully with time to spare to read uh, the Son of Dathomir comic. That was part of it. I won't have time to read Dark Disciple again, but I have read Dark Disciple, and it is it is a beautiful story. I do wish we could have actually seen those arcs. I, I'm just near the beginning of season five. I'm watching chronologically, so I have uh, about eight arcs to go, including uh, the Lost Missions, and uh, just a few things, a few thoughts and then I'll get into some more broader insights I had but this rewatch I was struck by just how groundbreaking the series really is <laughs> it takes you from this you know not, not so sure what the quality is going to be not so sure if it's going to be the more childish themes from the prequels or the deep lingering longing questions that the prequels pose to us and of course pretty close right off the bat in season one even uh with, with that that pacifist community it, it starts to it starts to go for it starts to talk about uh, is any war a good is <laughs> uh is it possible to be innocent while waging war and Clearly, the, the underlying one of the underlying arguments of the show is not really, and <laughs> which is odd for Star Wars because it this the, the the Skywalker saga has the habit of valorizing its military heroes, right? Great warrior, wars not make one great. Something Yoda finally realizes a couple decades later. Could have gone to this planet with these guys who, these short little mouse characters who walk funny and have Scottish accents 
and uh, they said, "Well, here, the you know, at the end of the day, there are these venators flying overhead, and one of the things that, especially towards the end of the series, that's this looming prospect that I hadn't really encountered before, is okay, worlds that say decide." Oh, we're gonna we're gonna knock with the separatists. We're gonna join the join the republic. Yay! They've chosen the good guys. Woohoo! But have they? Is that really the wisest idea here? Not that they would have had any choice, but there is the specter of these arrow shaped, arrowhead pointed, spear shaped star destroyers coming in. Uh, into the atmosphere and sure during the clone wars that might spell liberation and uh, and freedom and safety in a good way very soon very soon it's going to spell exploitation it's going to spell subjugation it's going to spell the iron boot of the galactic empire very very soon <laughs> and already it begins in these episodes you can see especially even very early on with uh, with the, that 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 pacifist community and and similar outlying contested worlds even Moncala right <laughs> the hero the the republic supporting Lee Char and of course both the Vader comic and the the 2017 Vader comic and the ongoing comic later goes into how that worked out for them. So uh, that that whole prospect looming, similar almost to, well, a similar feeling how I talk about the Resistance Reborn, where uh, this is more uh, where the First Order's presence is felt even if it isn't explicitly seen and in that case yes it's because they're already out in the galaxy taking control whereas here it's the republic offering peace and freedom and knowing we know the story that they're all about to take it away and Darth Sidious is actually there to amass power over the force so very much those themes throughout the series. One of the things that I've recognized and how groundbreaking it is, is especially when you, once you get to season three and four, the investment of resources in the visual design of, of the show and the look of it. I just, I was watching the, uh, uh, well, for everything with Dathomir. For example, it's ghoulish. It's clearly, I mean, you can watch it side by side. I was, I'm also watching a bit of a, re-watching a bit of a, a Jedi Fallen Order playthrough. And yes, the, the technology is so much more advanced now. But for its time, the amount of investment in detail in <laughs> just the atmosphere they were able to create the foreboding, the stark, the suffused with the dark side, and almost ghoulish in a way. 
Yeah, yeah, and now with Fallen Order, you can go to Dathomir, and they have the technology to actually just populate a whole space, three-dimensional digital space, whereas there they only needed to design the shot and the scene and all that because you're not manipulating a character. But still, it's not... They didn't just invest what the, the quality invest in a uh, in, in an animated film it wasn't just that it, it's it's the quality i can test of a, a live action film it's not photorealistic it's not trying to be but clearly george put his money where his mouth is really made this the best looking series in the history of television i don't know <laughs> that's that's my claim best looking animated series and uh, yeah, you look at you look at the, uh, oh, yeah, the the planet that that garbage planet where Savage finds Maul, and just all the junk and all the 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 fire and the droids and all the little creepy crawlies and everything coming around. It's and everything in Maul's little lair there. It's these caves, and yes, they get away with it a little bit by darkening it, but you really feel the atmosphere and the environment and the detail they poured into that to make it look so stunning. <laughs> Everything mirrors Maul's mindset. Andron. I, I just saw the Andron arc and you know, with, with our, our boy Saw Guerrera and <laughs> his introduction. I, my first thought was, why isn't that a location in Battlefront 2? It looks just as good as any other place like Naboo or anywhere else. Just the reason is because we only see her for uh, four episodes as opposed to you know a whole movie or whatever. But the quality and the the yeah both in uh, ISIS and in the jungles you you can really really get saturated by it or or, or not saturated but. You really feel like you're there. It's it's, and you really feel like these are real cultures. You even see the mural of the king and how he's in the palace and the throne room, and how he's replaced it with murals of, of himself. And these details, like a lot of the details that they put in Fallen Order. So, my point there is, is the visual style is such a part of the world building, it's such a part of being so immersive, which, again, yeah, it's commonplace now for video games and for animated shows, and of course, it's always been commonplace for, for live action. But the way they are able to do it in an animated show is, is so impressive. So, uh, yeah, that, that's that insight there. You know, a bit of a swig of coffee. Planka. <laughs> yeah. The I I don't want to comment too much because I'm still on my rewatch, so uh commenting on the way it sets up, the way it leads into Revenge of the Sith. I will comment on that in, in a little bit. But specifically Ahsoka Anakin. Lot of stuff. I, I've talked about that before. A lot of people have. Um, yeah, it, 
still, you know, I mean, one of the beautiful things about the show was it was able to take the time to see Darth Sidious grooming of Anakin, to see ways in which the Jedi and even Anakin himself are not quite at their ideals. I mean, Anakin never pretends to be that wild moment where uh, on the uh, that Mandal- the Mandalorian ship on Satine's ship, where there's the the separatist. Uh, I guess he's an informant. He's trying to hijack or, or sabotage Satine's mission to Coruscant, and brings on the those spider droid things. Obi Wan and Satine are all uh, caught in this. I guess the the personal pacifist dilemma. How do you defend yourself against an attacker, and can you, you know, betray the trust? Is Obi Wan going to betray the trust of the woman he loves? And uh, out comes Anakin, blue blade right through the back, <laughs> and you hear. I think you hear a bit of Vader's theme there, and you're like, what? He was going to kill us all, and those types of struggles, but. Uh, and what it shows, and, and it's almost, it's similar to um, you know, the deleted scene about with with Luke and Ray, the deleted scene about the uh, the fisherman coming to the um, the caretaker village. It does raise still, and, and I talked about pacifism and non interference, but it raises the question. You know the the, the Jedi code and uh, maintaining this distance from the suffering of the galaxy, and of course that does again come into play in the Andron arc, and of course you see Ahsoka <laughs> being there, embedded within uh, Steel. That's really Steel's group at that time, and. You know, the Jedi Council can't interfere because it's supposedly an internal conflict and not a wider contested thing. I, I guess they still want to respect the wishes of the legitimate government. And so, of course, what they do is they get Hondo <laughs> in and uh, that gives them the ordinance that helps them take out the uh, the separatist fighters and yeah sneaky ways to get past the ideal when it feels like the ideal of keeping completely clean and that's the problem the idea of completely clean may not actually necessarily serve in the moment even if it would serve long term and that's the problem it's an interesting problem uh bring up picard for a second when it comes came to uh, the the Romulan uh, relocation efforts and all that, and then I will get into Picard next week. I'm just waiting on episode three because they're that those first three episodes are going to set things up. So just a bit of a plug. Picard reaction will be coming next week, hopefully. <laughs> um, But yeah, you see Anakin and all through this series, a consistent trait with Anakin is that he's consistently brash and, and, and 
Ahsoka learns from him. And then I will make this note that when at the end of season, I believe it's season five, Ahsoka leaves the order. That is actually something Anakin gave her the ability to do. Right. For Ahsoka, the order can't be this absolute be-all end-all. Even if it's pretty darn close to being that way. Because the council is always advising this or ordering this. And Anakin's always doing this instead. And Obi-Wan just rolls his eyes. and <laughs> Oh, not again, you know. There's this, yeah, this fundamental deeper point of absolute allegiance. And, and, of course, with Anakin, his absolute allegiance turns against, turns against the Jedi, turns against the light side to the dark side. So, right, Sidious is able to twist that questioning of his allegiance to the Jedi in a way that he can then manipulate into creating a, a younger and more powerful apprentice as a Dark Lord of the Sith. With Ahsoka, it's more recognizing that the Jedi have not upheld the light. And yes, the questions of getting dirty or not, staying clean for the wrong reasons, right? Clean as in a cold distance rather than clean as still engaged constructively. And so what'll be interesting to see looking forward then <clears throat> is with Ahsoka's walkabout and the meditations that come from that, are we going to hear her reflect on how she then views the Jedi now that she's out, now that she's out, now that she's gone. So, and, and how that connects with her, what Anakin taught her to evaluate for herself and evaluate with the real people around her and not just sim just simply the Jedi or the be-all and end-all. Right? To learn that lesson from Luke that the light doesn't need the Jedi, the Jedi need the light. And so <clears throat> when the Jedi are claiming that they are the light in themselves can is there is there a prophetic move of no actually the light can exist outside and is exists above the Jedi. So we'll see. We'll see what happens. Coffee break time. Alright. So the main core, I don't know how long I'll take with this, but <clears throat> the main core of what I wanted to get through today was the overall structure of the show of the, of the story because on the one hand it's it feels like an anthology of these somewhat disconnected arc discrete arcs that are happen and then something else happens and then something else happens but over time you get a, a sense that oh all these characters are interconnected in some way and and I do think there was 
an overall vision. I mean, I know George and Dave had this vision to bring everything all together in the end. Uh, one of the things I'm really excited for with season seven is once I, I, I don't remember when I, where I heard this, but I know the plan or one of the hopes was to show Order 66 from the perspective of different Jedi we had met along the way. We got a bit of that in Revenge of the Sith. We got a bit more of that in the deleted scenes. I don't know how canon those are, but uh, we would have gotten it even more and we might, well, especially get it from Ahsoka's point of view. So what that means then is everything's leading to this, this goal of, well, at least for Sidious, his goal. But these discrete arcs, and again, I had this sense, oh, this character connects to this character, this connects to this character, but how does it all fit together? So guess what, guys? I drew a diagram. <laughs> and I'll, I'll make, I think I'm, I've made it the show art with the mug, with the copy. And if you can read the chicken scratch, that's good. If you can't, let me know, and I'll, I'll try and send a better version of it. Um, but I, I, I made a, a, yeah, a diagram. I wrote it out and think of it like a circle of, of the, the different groups and factions and characters and, and that it, it meets up again, the other, at the end. So they go in the different directions and meet up in the, at the end. So at the, at the top two, you definitely have the Republic and the Jedi and you have the Separatists, right? That's the Clone Wars. <laughs> Those are the two, two uh, competing factions, to use that kind of terminology. The combatants in the Clone Wars. Um, now behind that, of course, is Darth Sidious and his apprentice Darth Tyrannus. Darth Tyrannus is, of course... Count Dooku, the leader of the Confederacy of Independent Systems. Darth Sidious is, of course, Supreme Chancellor Palpatine of the Galactic Republic. And has, of course, the whatever it is that the Republic ties to the Jedi, that institutional arrangement that they have going back, I'd say about a millennium. <laughs> so the Republic and the Jedi, and of course, Anakin, Ahsoka, Obi-Wan. The diagram, as I have printed, doesn't show this part, but it's, of course, through the perspective of Ahsoka, as long, along with Anakin and Obi-Wan. Uh, the Republic and the Jedi, I mean, they very quickly connect with Satine and Mandalore. So that Republic Jedi come down a little bit. Satine and Mandalore. Um, of course, there's that historic tie between... Obi-Wan and Satine, an emotional tie, this backstory, which I would love to hear. I'd love to get the story of Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan and Satine running around on the run, <laughs> young, young forbidden love, forbidden attachment. Um, and of course, Obi-Wan tempted to break his celibacy and leave the order. Uh, of course, with the Jedi, with the Jedi, uh, on Mandalore with Satine, they get uh, caught up with Death Watch. And that's uh, 
is Tarvizla Previsla. Tarvizla is the ancient one. Previsla, who has the dark saber and uh, eventually, you know, or at least tries to take over Mandalore. Okay, so that's that left half thing. On the right half of the circle, I don't know why I did left and right. It doesn't quite make sense. Whatever. You have Tyrannus and the Separatists. In between the Separatists, there are the contested worlds where a lot of this, a lot of the strategic warfare happens, right? Just like in the Pacific, like on the Eastern Front and Western Front in World War II. Um, parts of the Pacific, I should say. Uh, I mean, Gibraltar is historically a contested world, <laughs> if you will. Uh, the Separatists are there. And then, so the Separatists are there on the right. Go a little bit down, uh, and you have the Dathomiri Night Sisters. Now, first, of course, you have Ventress. And Ventress is uh, Tyrannus' assassin slash person who's going to train to be his apprentice and take over uh, as Dark Lord of the Sith. But what's interesting, that leads us to the, the Night Sisters and this whole other uh, side of the dark side and of the Force in general. This, this is really the first example we see, and we, we see them a lot more in Rebels and other, other media, in Rogue One especially too. Force users, people connected to the Force outside of the Jedi and Sith. And their interests are not aligned with with either Jedi or Sith very often. Um, I do wonder with the Night Sisters, morally, <laughs> I hate to say this, they are closer to the Grey than anyone, because there's definitely a genuine care and love for each other and protection of each other. Like the way, the way Mother Talzin takes Ventress in. Um, after after she's betrayed by Dooku, for example, the way then, and that inspires Ventress to begin her gradual journey towards the light. That's why Ventress in an arrow going leftward towards where the Jedi are. She meets up with bounty hunters in the middle there, and that's a whole other little wrinkle. The bounty hunters. So you have Separatists, Dathomiri, Nightcesters, and Savage. Savage, of course, is what precipitates I think, the most important structural moment that I talked about earlier <laughs> in the whole series, really, is the return of Maul. Really sets this series in a direction, thrusts in a direction, uh, you know, in, in the way, the closest parallel to think of is the way Seven of Nine thrusts the uh, Voyager in a direction. The way Worf and the, the Dominion War really pushes Deep Space Nine in a direction. Yeah, making these Star Trek parallels because, you know, like, because Maul is really the one who begins to tie everything together. And to tie the map together. I'm going to take some more coffee here. Yeah. 
<coughs> Sorry. Because Maul then hooks up with crime syndicates and bounty hunters and all that. Oh. And then he gets connected with Death Watch. And when, when Maul is connected with Death Watch and <coughs> sorry, haven't gotten to their uh, season five yet. But when Maul is connected with Death Watch, yeah, that's where all the maneuvering and all the so between the whole line separatists that well, it's the Death of Mary and the Night Sisters and Maul. Maul moving to Mandalore and that's his goal of really confronting Obi-Wan ultimately he takes over Mandalore I haven't gotten there yet but in this rewatch but I know what happens <laughs> he takes over Mandalore murders Satine and there's the confrontation and he's entrenched in Mandalore um And so what we end up happening then, in a way, at the end of uh, the end of uh, the end of the series as we have it so far, is that we have you know the the Republic and the Jedi fighting their war, the Outer Rim sieges, the Bad Batch. We're going to see all that. Um, we have Ahsoka on her walkabout, meditating on the Jedi. We have Maul entrenched in Mandalore as with the Darksaber, as the Mandalore, with the crime syndicates. And especially everything. And then, of course, well, I'll get to that in a second. My thought in a second. But then, of course, we're going to have the daring attempt, that daring thing in the crawl of Revenge of the Sith, of daring plan to capture the Chancellor. So the Separatists have the Chancellor and have attacked Coruscant and Maul is on Mandalore and he's wreaking havoc. So in a way, I mean, because we know uh, the whole thing with the, with the beginning of Revenge of the Sith is orchestrated by Darth Sidious really to set up confrontation between Anakin and Darth Tyrannus so that Anakin can basically what happens he kills Dooku off and takes his place ultimately that's not what he thinks at the time but definitely leading there with his ability to kill people in cold blood and take them out something he isn't able to do at the end with Darth Sidious but well, at the end of, of Revenge of the Sith he is able to do in Return of the Jedi although that's not really cold blood that's to protect his son that's a whole other movie. Uh, we have that, but we have Ahsoka who is uh, meditating on Jedi interference, non-interference, and it's going to be really interesting then to see uh, how she is convinced to take a, a battalion of clones. She's not in the Jedi. She's not a Jedi. She's definitely not been a commander. But she takes Rex and a group from the 501st to Mandalore. And uh, with ordnance similar to the one that uh, Moff Gideon attacks the uh, Din Djarin, 
and, and tries to get the child. <laughs> um, lays waste to Mandalore and, and tries to uh, get Maul to surrender. And there's that final confrontation in the palace. Bringing everything together and then what we're probably going to see is Order 66 happening right there. Or sometime around there. We know we're going to see it from Ahsoka's point of view. And that's really important because uh, uh, the guys on Star Wars Underworld talked about, mentioned them a few times. This series is really from Ahsoka's point of view. It's from, uh, by and large. I mean, certainly, yes, you get a lot of Obi-Wan. You get lots of Anakin. But the their characters are a little more static. Right? Obi-Wan remains the more by-the-book, uh, wizened figure that, you know, not, not as wise as he is the beginning of A New Hope, but he definitely has seniority. In the beginning of Season 5, you see him in his chair on the council. So he's a master at that point. Anakin, like I said, he's always pretty brash. But he and very compassionate, clearly. Right. There, there's a motivation to, uh, yeah, he's definitely emo emotionally invested, of course, in Padme and in Ahsoka and in Obi-Wan. Right. Uh, you know, he, he very quickly takes Ahsoka under his wing. We know he was not happy about it at first, thanks to, you know, we get that in, Southern Ontario, Ontario's Kate Johnston's novel, which, by the way, gives us a bit of the Siege of Mandalore. It's where we, the second time we hear about it. Um, the first time we hear about it is actually in Rebels, where you know, that's the last time Ahsoka says, that's the last time we saw Anakin, or she saw Anakin. Was it the Siege of Mandalore? And then he went off to rescue the Chancellor. We, she goes from... It's annoying and uh, very much in over her head <laughs> and uh, quoting by the book, you know, all these things that aren't, she's intentionally annoying, intentionally annoying the way Luke is intentionally annoying, the way Anakin in episodes one and two are intentionally annoying as in awkward teenagers who are trying to figure it out and are looking to looking to their elders to help them figure out life and help them discern who they want to be and who how they want to uh, engage this world this wider world that George Lucas has said is at the heart of uh, what Star Wars is about like I said my Rise of Skywalker episode with Rey, right? she's looking to Luke, although she does it less annoyingly. <laughs> she's looking to Han and Luke for that guidance. Ahsoka goes from someone who's looking to Anakin and to the Jedi for that guidance to someone who can stay on Onderon and uh, help establish by herself. And help establish uh, or, or, or help support 
the partisans, I'm not called the partisans yet, but support their efforts to someone who can walk away. And that's the deep lesson there. Someone who can walk away and then someone who can then lead her own campaign against someone who's clearly clearly superior to her, Maul. We'll see how she gets out of that. Clearly, we know they both survived that. Um, and then seeing how she handles Order 66 with Rex. The when I watched, uh, yeah, when I well when I watched my Rebels rewatch last year, and then when I started this rewatch, Clone Wars this year, is that wonderful line, mirrored line, where the first time Ahsoka meets meets Rex, she's all, "Oh, I'm this makes me a commander. I'm that means I outrank you," and of course Rex says. Uh, from what I've seen, you know, experience, or I forget the line, but um, experience counts more, and, and I outrank you <laughs> in that. And, and then, of course, when Ahsoka and Rex meet up again in Rebels, uh, she says, yeah, I definitely outrank you. And, of course, Rex respects that and loves that because... Not just because he's programmed to, but because he's he's been through it with her. And that story has been told and will come to its conclusion, thankfully, in Season 7 of The Clone Wars. So hopefully that all makes sense, how things get to work together. Um, again, I'll... I'll I have the this photo as the art. It's not the nicest looking episode art, but I think it works. Uh, I'll probably post. I'll post a, a better quality version, or at least a higher resolution of this photo on social media. Um, but yeah, uh, definitely looking forward to season seven of the Clone Wars. Looking forward. That that's my big thing. I'm look, been looking forward to in 2020. Uh, yeah gonna prioritize the prequels content it's just how i am <laughs> take it or leave it right uh so that that's all i gotta say for episode 53 of for christ's sake anakin it's been our clone wars retrospective and prospective um if you if you're interested if you like this run and get a better look at this uh diagram I'll post it up on my Twitter at NEUG485 and on my Instagram at MNEUG1138. Uh, feel free to give me a follow, like, comment, etc. Thanks for listening. May the Force be with you always.